And that can actually cause a lot of issues when we're talking about PCOS because high levels of insulin can actually drive testosterone. And, um, you know, that is obviously an issue because that's when we start to see irregular cycles. We start to see um, hair loss, excessive hair growth, or hirsutism, or um, even acne. So that, you know, brings me to the second pillar, which is testosterone. Welcome to the Alpha Female Podcast. I'm Robin Pino, formerly known as Baldwin, an essential oil educator, blogger, author, yoga teacher, MS thriver, and newly twin mama. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a show that will inspire you to embrace living like an alpha female. We'll guide you to create more work-life harmony for yourself, discover tips and tricks to achieve your goals and dreams, all while taking the best care of yourself. Now on with the show. This show is brought to you by doTERRA Essential Oils. As an essential oil educator, I partnered with doTERRA in 2016 to diversify my income with them. I was drawn to the oils a few years before when I was diagnosed with MS and gifted an introductory kit with lemon, peppermint, and lavender essential oil. At the time, as I was learning to live with MS, I knew I needed to get better quality and quantity of sleep. So I started using lavender in my Epsom salt baths every night to signal to my body that it was time to go to sleep and the rest is history. I educated myself on the potency, purity, testing, and sourcing practices and discovered the company's heart of gold. So I'd like to do the same for you. I send out samples to anyone who has not yet tried doTERRA oils and you don't yet have a shopping account with them. So find me on Instagram. My new Instagram handle is at Robin Pino, and that's P-I-N-E-A-U-L-T. Send me a DM saying I'd love to try some oils and then let me know one health pain point you're trying to solve. Send me your shipping address from there and then I'll pop a care package in the mail for you. You are listening to the Alpha Female Podcast, episode 185. All links and show notes can be found over at robinbaldwin.com forward slash podcast. So today on the show, we have Dr. Samina Mitha. Dr. Samina is a licensed and registered naturopathic doctor. She is passionate about helping patients find true clarity and confidence in their health using evidence-based natural therapies. Dr. Samina strives to provide empowerment, support, and education to patients with hormone health concerns in a compassionate environment. She focuses her practice on polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, fertility, and thyroid health, and has completed extensive clinical and education training in reproductive health and fertility. Her clinical experience includes working within a fertility clinic alongside the rep- reproductive endocrinologists and nurses to support and treat many fertility patients and couples with PCOS, endometriosis, unexplained infertility thyroid conditions, and IVF and IUI processes. Having been diagnosed with PCOS herself, Samina has a personal connection with women who experience hormonal imbalances. Her drive and passion to become a naturopathic doctor stemmed from wanting to support women with reproductive concerns. Well, I've got some pronunciation issues today. Um, We had such a great conversation. We talked a lot about PCOS, which I think is really um, apropos for the fertility series. So many women with PCOS may struggle to conceive. And so in, you know, the whole theme of supporting women um, on a fertility journey who may be dealing with infertility, 
um, this is uh, a perfect conversation. Um, she gives some really, really great tips around lifestyle changes, um, and just chatting about, you know, work-life harmony and reducing stress for herself as a naturopathic doctor in today's world. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Samina. Hi. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. As I was researching potential guests for my fertility series, as I relaunched the show, I was, uh, I wanted to make sure I got a perspective of someone taking care of patients with PCOS because it's such a huge issue that is prevalent with women today. And I don't think a lot of people discuss it until they're faced with it. So I'm hoping this opens the conversation to many. Yeah, um, I'm, I agree. I'm very excited to chat about it with you. Perfect. So um, we've sent over the definition to you of what an alpha female is according to our community. Um, but how mm-hmm. does being an alpha female apply to someone, you know, who may be healing PCOS? Yeah. So like when I read the definition, I really felt like it kind of embodied who I am actually as a person, which is really interesting and very exciting because a lot of, um, you know, the words that were chosen for the definition really spoke to me. Uh, One of the biggest things that came up was um, confidence. Um, It says, you know, her confidence is due to being an an intelligent and intellectual problem solver. And I really feel like when it comes to PCOS and really any kind of, you know, symptom or disease we're talking about in naturopathic medicine it's really about gaining clarity of what's going on so that was a really big one for me but then also another thing that came up in the definition is really it's a state of mind based on choosing ambition and being proud of it and that really spoke to me because i feel like with pcos it's really about taking control um, of the symptoms that you experience and really you know finding ways to make yourself feel better and putting yourself first and so that's another big part of this definition where it says an alpha female put yourself first because she deserves self-care and love and i love that because making yourself a priority is extremely important um, especially if you have pcos do you find that patients come to you and they're not um maybe putting themselves first as much as they could in terms of uh healing Yes, for sure. I feel like a lot of us actually, you know, uh, working and, you know, coming home and exercising and cooking and relaxing and then trying to get some good sleep, like it can be tough, Mm -hmm. kind of getting all of those things in. And I feel like sometimes, you know, self-care gets put to a side. And it's really, you know, it's not... um, it's, it shouldn't be like that. We should have that as a priority and schedule it in. I often talk about that with my patients is scheduling in self-time, self-care time, things to do that really make you feel happy and, you know, good, um, especially whatever it is, you know, whether it's, you know, reading a book or drinking a tea or knitting or anything really that kind of gets you excited about living life. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's uh, self-care is such a big topic right now, especially on social media, um, especially because of, you know, the last year. And I think that um, it is a huge component, I think, of any type of um, health condition that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's really taking that time to k- take care of yourself. 
Yeah. I feel like self-care has been a hot topic for a while now. It's just kind of morphed into a, a new conversation because now as more people are spending time at home, your, your days become much longer and there's less kind of delineation between all the different facets of your life. And so I love that you are already giving advice in terms of scheduling it. And, um, even for myself, like I'm actually putting into my phone the nights that I want to have an Epsom salt bath. Cause otherwise, yeah. you know, I, I put our twins down, um, I'm cleaning up the kitchen. I'm, you know, just cleaning up the house and then it's already like 9 PM and my, my bedtime is non-negotiable right now. Right. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I missed my Epsom salt bath time. So it's yeah. like putting it in the phone. So I get a notification 15 minutes yeah. before eight o'clock. It'd be like, just get in the bath, just get in the bath, drop, yeah. drop the kitchen stuff. Your husband can clean up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, so good. And I feel like also, since a lot of people are working from home now, like you said, there's not that like distinction between, okay, I'm at work now and then mm -hmm. I'm at home now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like really, it's really important, not only before, um, you know, COVID and everything that's happened in the last year, but I think it's even extremely important now to shut off our computers, to shut off our phones and really take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's get into a little bit more about you. So why did you decide to specialize in hormone health, fertility support and PCOS? Yeah. So, uh, you know, this really comes back to my personal experience with getting diagnosed with PCOS um, when I was around 18 or 19 years of age. And at that time, I was dealing with acne, uh, really bad acne, actually. And so that's when I decided to go and see a naturopathic doctor because, um, yeah, my mom had gone to see one and she said, why don't you go and try and see if she can help you? So I went there and a lot of things came up. And I think she kind of had this, um, you know, idea of potentially I had PCOS and I had no idea what that was, but I went to my family doctor, I got an ultrasound, I got blood tests, and it in fact showed that I had PCOS. It was very clear. And so that was a real light bulb moment for me to really understand uh, what health actually means and, you know, more specifically, what is reproductive health and how it really impacts women, especially for myself. Like, when I went to the doctor, she was like, okay, you know, you have PCOS, like, don't worry about it. You can go on birth control and we'll give you, you know, um, something for your acne. And then it was like, you know, when you want to have children, you can, we'll just, they'll give you medications for that. And so I didn't really like that, you know, conversation because I felt like there was more to it than, you know, just waiting around and figuring out what would happen. And so that's when I really started to like, dive into like what is PCOS what is hormones and at that time it was a lot a lot about gut healing and candida because I had spent years taking antibiotics for my acne uh, which really impacted my gut and so um, I started really you know learning how to eat how to you know take the sugar out of my diet and um, just step by step learning little things as I went so um, that and having that experience with the naturopath really like opened my eyes up to healthcare and what we can do um, to help these women with PCOS. And so I got really, really excited about um, reproductive health and I was studying science and business at the time. And so then that's when I decided to go to school 
um, after I worked a little bit and then I decided to go to school to become an naturopathic doctor. And while I was there, you know, everything I really focused my attention on was reproductive health. And, um, I even did an additional training in reproductive health in my last year of school where I just saw fertility patients on my one clinic shift. And so that got me really excited because when I left school, I was really confident in treating a fertility patient and PCOS and hormone health. And so that's, I also had the opportunity of working inside a fertility clinic after school. Um, and that's what's really, um, you know, spurred and my interest in like really helping these women because I knew that, you know, I wanted to help women just like me. I wanted to help bring back hope to those who have PCOS. And I just didn't feel like there was many options in terms of conventional medicine and really supporting and guiding these women through diet and lifestyle changes. And I felt like um, that was definitely the place where I wanted to be helping. How many patients do you find discover that they actually have PCOS or maybe a whisper of it when they are starting to think about conceiving and go off of synthetic birth control? A lot of my patients who are coming to me have um, PCOS, like have been diagnosed with PCOS. Okay. Um, a few of them do come and say, you know, I think I have it, but, you know, no one's really delved into it. And then there's like a small population that comes and like they don't know at all. And then we, we figure it out together. So it's all, I think it's mostly because a lot of the patients who are coming to me are trying to conceive already and they've been yeah. to the fertility clinic. So they kind of know that PCOS is there because they've already done an ultrasound. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of my story, I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast, but in 2016, I had gone off of birth control knowing that in a few years, um, my husband and I were going to have children and I wanted to regulate my system as soon as possible and went off of birth control, lost my period for several months. It came back super sporadic. Um, so I did all the the testing, but because I didn't, uh, fit the Rotterdam criteria, Mm. the gynecologist was like, no, you don't have it. I was like, Oh, perfect. That's amazing. Mm. I don't have it. Um, Meanwhile, I, until we actually had been trying to conceive her over a year and a half, um, mm-hmm. and the, finally the fertility clinic started to do all of the tests all over again. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. your LH is higher than your FSH. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, it's probably hard for your body to like figure out when it's ovulating. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, well, you don't have PCOS. I'm like, but this was an issue in 2016, like this was on my scans, but the gynecologist never said, you know, this is a problem. He's just like, you don't fit the criteria. So I'm not going to treat you for PCOS. Mm. And I wish I had looked further into it. Um, because I'm pretty good at digging into things when I, like my gut tells me, I think at the time I was just so excited not to have another health, um, sidekick to deal with because I live with MS. And so I was like, right. yes, I don't have PCOS, but I, yeah. like, oh, I wrote a blog post after I announced that we were pregnant. I was like, I wish I had looked further into it because, it, yes. you know, it maybe would have been something that I could have healed naturally instead of like a year and a half of heartbreak and then having no. to go to the fertility clinic. So. That's the thing. Like, you know, oftentimes I feel like we have the Rotterdam criteria, which is great. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things I find with Rotterdam criteria is that um, the one section where it talks about testosterone, right? So it says clinical, like clinical signs and symptoms of high testosterone or high testosterone in the blood. 
And oftentimes what I'm seeing is patients are being told they don't have PCOS because their testosterone in the blood is low. And, you know, or, it, you know, it's not high enough to say like, yes, for sure, you have high testosterone, but they're coming to me with all the clinical signs and symptoms of high testosterone, like mm. hair loss or hair growth or, you know, um, acne on the jawline. So it's really, it's true. Like it, it does take somebody who is very skilled and specific into that um, world, I think, sometimes to catch PCOS in some patients. Sometimes it's very clear. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be like, quote unquote, full blown PCOS, according to the Rotterdam criteria, Exactly. which yeah. um, correct me I, with a, if it's like, is it three or four things like you have to have? Um, yeah, you have to have two out of the three under the okay. Rotterdam criteria. Yeah. So there's um, uh, cysts on the ovaries and it doesn't necessarily have to be cysts, but it can be multiple follicles. So when you go for that day three ultrasound, so it's like cycle day three ultrasound, oftentimes we see more than, you know, 10 to 12 follicles on each ovary. And that's a sign too, that uh, there's a potential PCOS there. The other thing is um, late ovulation or lack of ovulation altogether. So oligomenorrhea or amenorrhea. So if the patient is experiencing long, long cycles and maybe they're ovulating, you know, past that cycle day 14 and maybe they're ovulating 15, 16 or even 20, 29, um, then, you know, that's another sign to uh, or one of the criteria on the Rotterdam. So you have to have two out of the three um, to really diagnose it. But the Androgen Society has actually said that um, you have to have, their, their thinking is that, you know, testosterone and the clinical signs or lab results should be present in PCOS. And I kind of agree with that just based on all the patients I've seen with PCOS. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. even if one of the things shows up, it may not mean that you have a label to what's happening in your body, but I think it still means like it should turn on a light bulb and say like, okay, there's something that's off. Like my body is not in homeostasis. Let me work yes. with a practitioner, like a naturopath to figure out how I can re-regulate before yes. it gets worse. So I think that's, I agree with that. That's my soapbox moment is just like, yeah. <laughs> don't ignore the red flags. Even if you, exactly. don't, if you don't have the label PCOS, you know, there's still maybe something that's happening in your body. Yeah. Um, Okay. So talk to us about what are the four PCOS pillars? You talk about it on your social media a bit. Yeah. So I like to just think about, you know, PCOS in um, a few different categories. Just keep in mind all of these categories, even though we call them pillars, a lot of them meld together and they're kind of interconnected. So one of the biggest ones is insulin. So insulin is a really important hormone when it comes to PCOS because we oftentimes see insulin resistance. And uh, basically what insulin resistance is, is when our cells, you know, the receptor sites on the cells that bind to the receptors to open up the glucose channels to get glucose into the cell. Um, after we've eaten something, like say, for example, we eat rice, rice gets broken down into glucose molecules, right? That will stimulate the pancreas to release insulin. 
Insulin's job is to bind to these receptor sites, and the, this will open up those glucose channels to get glucose into the cell. So that's why how it should be working. In insulin resistance, we see that the receptors actually become resistant to insulin. And when that happens, uh, we have more blood glucose and more blood insulin in the actual bloodstream where it shouldn't be. And that can actually cause a lot of issues when we're talking about PCOS because high levels of insulin can actually drive testosterone. And, um, you know, that is obviously an issue because that's when we start to see irregular cycles. We start to see um, hair loss, excessive hair growth, or hirsutism, or um, even acne. So that, you know, brings me to the second pillar, which is testosterone. So testosterone is really important when it comes to PCOS because we often see that it's high and it, and it kind of shows up with those clinical signs and symptoms. But also it's very important to consider where the testosterone comes from. So whether it's from the adrenal glands, these are the glands that sit on top of the kidneys, they release DHEAS, which actually is a type of testosterone that comes from the adrenal glands. This is, um, these glands actually secrete cortisol or stress hormone. So oftentimes when DHEAS is high, we really wanna support stress management in a case like that. Testosterone can also come from the ovaries. So if we have high total testosterone or free testosterone or another marker is androstenedione or the other one is DHT, this is our most potent form of testosterone, um, you know, any of these markers can actually tell us that potentially the testosterone is coming from the ovaries. So it's actually really important to be testing all, you know, markers of testosterone and figuring out where the testosterone is coming from. That's really important. Hmm. This, yeah. Okay. The third one is, you know, estradiol and progesterone. So estrogen and progesterone, this is kind of interconnected to all the, you know, the first two. So oftentimes we see that progesterone is low in PCOS women. And this is majority of the time due to the fact that, you know, when we first get our menarch, so when we first get our period, our testosterone and our LH and our insulin are high. And in a woman that in a woman that doesn't have PCOS, what will happen is the body will start to kickstart ovulation. So she'll start to build FSH, she'll start to build estradiol, and that will get the body to ovulate. But oftentimes what we see in PCOS is there's this wall of high LH, high testosterone, high insulin, and it doesn't allow the body to like naturally get into this cycling of FSH and estradiol and then, you know, progesterone. So what happens is what we can do is use progesterone to actually decrease the testosterone in the brain, actually. And that can really kickstart this ovulatory process in a woman's um, cycles. So, you know, progesterone is such an important hormone when it comes to PCOS. And oftentimes, you know, this information and research is coming from Jerry Lynn Pryor. And using progesterone can really help bring that testosterone down so that estrogen can rise and so that we can get ovulation happening, which is really interesting. Mm, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so when someone comes to you and after you've done all the testing, so we know that when you work with a naturopath, like one of the things that's so important is that you um, have your blood work done so that you can be treated for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so once you have that blood work done, what would you say are the top three areas um, that you tackle with people, um, let's say outside of supplementation, because we know that's so key. Yeah. So you, do you mean like, um, 
the type of um, modalities that we're using? Yeah. So instead of supplements. Yeah. So like um, my my show listeners know that like you you go to a naturopath to help uh, with supplementation plans, right? Um, right. Specifically based on your blood type, we've talked about that before. Um, but w- what else do you do in terms of coaching your patients? Um, hmm. In terms of you know areas of their lifestyle, but maybe what are the top three things that you know are key to be able to heal PCOS? Yeah, so one of the biggest areas, um, number one, is diet, right? So we're talking about how to build a food plate, especially for insulin resistance. So first, you know, we're screening for insulin resistance by asking questions to see what's going on there. And then, um, you know, if we know there's insulin resistance, which a lot of women do have when they have PCOS, whether you're lean or you're overweight um, or even just a slightly, you know, overweight um, it's really about talking about how to build that diet or that food plate for PCOS. And it's oftentimes based around balancing insulin and glucose. So lots and lots of good vegetables, good lean protein, lots and lots of fat, and then carbohydrates and fruits are together and they're cycled throughout the day um, in a smaller quantity. So diet is a huge component, I would say, of PCOS to managing all the symptoms. It doesn't start until the diet changes. I feel like oftentimes anything you put into your body is really a direct reflection of what's going to happen because the food we put in is going to be feeling all the organs we need to balance PCOS. The second thing that I really like to talk about with patients is, um, you know, I put these together because, um, you know, sleep and stress, if we're not sleeping well, then we're going to be more stressed. And if we're stressed, we're not going to be sleeping well. So um, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. And I think, you know, we're really making sure that you're sleeping well and your stress is under control is extremely, extremely important when it comes to PCOS. We often see that um, you know, patients with PCOS have a higher prevalence of anxiety and depression. And oftentimes I find that it actually comes from, you know, diet, uh, dietary habits, um, and even, you know, movement, making sure you're moving your body. So that brings me to the third one, which is exercise. And exercise is extremely important when it comes to PCOS. And it doesn't actually have to even be like well thought out you know, timed exercise throughout the week, but it even just has to be movement of the body. The more you move your body, the more chance insulin and glucose get to work properly and get that glucose into the cell. And, uh, you know, even those small minuscule things that we're working on in a cellular level actually really can help all the hormones and allow us to ovulate, which is incredible. Like it's, it's interesting that some, you know, even the smallest thing like movement and eating well and sleep and exercise, oftentimes patients think like, oh, that's all I have to do. But this, these are huge things, right? To really mm-hmm. change. Yeah. Yeah. And even just getting in like a solid walk every day um, yeah. and moving the body. We live out on the West Coast now. So we moved yeah. from Ottawa to the middle of Vancouver Island. And the yeah. weather here is amazing, but our winters are really, really dark and rainy. Yeah. And Um, it wasn't that hard to get the motivation to go out in like minus 30 weather. Like you bundle, you go out, but it's super sunny, like to get the motivation to bundle up in rain 
pants and raincoat pack, yeah. up, pack up pack up our twins in a stroller and then like get outside is like exhausting to think about For sure yeah so it's like even just trying to move within the house and I do wonder like I know there is this huge trend this year with indoor and at-home workouts mm-hmm. but I am not an at-home worker outer like I just am not like it is hard yeah. Um, so I, for, for anybody else that is struggling with that, I am right there with you. Like I have to schedule it again in my phone and get it there, hold yeah. myself accountable. Um, but I would rather go for a walk than do a workout at home. <laughs> yeah. I often find that, um, I've been telling patients to just keep some like light weights beside their desk. And then like in between meetings, if they have like, you know, f- even five minutes in between a meeting or something like that to just do some squats with your weights and just, you know, even just that little movement can really help. Mm. Um, or even just like if you're on a conference call and you don't have to be on video, just like walking around in your house or like doing <laughs> steps, you know, like doing getting like a stepper and then just doing steps. Yeah. Like just to get that blood flow moving and that, um, you know, ability to like actually get your body up and going. Yeah. I had, I had a podcast guest. I have no idea if it was like the first season or the second season. I've had so many episodes now, but she talked Mm -hmm. about rebounders and getting a little trampoline. I was like, I cut, I laughed back then I was like oh yeah yeah that's funny but now I'm like I kind of want my own trampoline in my house because I can like picture myself getting on that for like a good five minutes um and just moving my body that way (laughs) I even love just like Zumba you know like there's so many um uh videos on YouTube and just like getting up and dancing you know just like moving your body and I feel like that also helps your serotonin for sure get you happy yeah for sure okay so Um, talk to me about what is the glucose challenge test? Yeah. So this is a really great test to challenge, um, the body to see if you have insulin resistance. There's actually two different tests. So there's the insulin glucose challenge test and there's the oral glucose tolerance test. So the glucose challenge test only tests glucose over a two hour period. So what would happen is you'd go into the, into the lab they test you at a fasted state. So you'll test their fasting glucose. And then after half an hour, hour and two hours, they'll test your glucose after you drink a drink of 75 grams of glucose. And this drink is horrible if anyone's ever done it. Okay, you had to it's, do it with pregnancy. Yeah. So you have to do it in pregnancy. And so um, it's really not the greatest drink. They used to have an orange drink. And they've actually turned it into a clear drink. So I don't know what's better. But in any case, it's lots and lots of glucose. Mm -hmm. And it actually tells us what happens after we put lots of glucose into the body in a fasted state. If your cells can actually bring that glucose into the cells. And that will tell us, you know, how bad, um, you know, insulin resistance is. The nice thing about this other test called the insulin glucose challenge test is not only are we testing glucose at the half an hour, hour and two hour mark, but we're also testing insulin. And that actually gives us a lot of information as to how, if you have insulin resistance, first of all, and how bad the insulin resistance is. Because, you know, you don't want insulin to be too high either, because that's also a sign that the receptors aren't responding and your blood insulin is also high as well. 
So if insulin resistance is there, then we're, you know, diving right into how do we bring insulin and glucose down? And a lot of times it's through diet and exercise. Those are like the two biggest things we can use to get the insulin down. And then on top of that, supplementation, and then sometimes even intermittent fasting based on how bad the um, insulin resistance is. Hmm. This is fascinating because yeah. I'm going through this right now. So um, I just had blood work done. I'm five months postpartum and I just had blood work yeah. done and it's showing I'm potentially pre-diabetic, um, right. which hasn't like has never happened. Um, mind you, yeah. I've gone through a lot postpartum. So we're trying to figure that out. And my naturopath gave me a list of things to go to my family doctor to get tested. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I asked, I asked for fasting glucose as well as an insulin test. And she's like, oh, you don't need both. We'll just do one. And hearing you talk, I'm like, hmm, yet again, I'm coming up against conventional medicine, like not wanting to look at the full picture yeah. um, to be able to, they're like, oh, you only need to test this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing when it comes to that, cause I, I experienced that as well is um, oftentimes they're really worried about glucose, right? Because if glucose is high, then we're, you know, bound to get diabetes and they're not necessarily thinking about insulin. And I think insulin is actually where it's at. That's where we should be <laughs> testing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if insulin isn't there and if the receptors aren't working, the glucose is not going to get into the cells. And then we have these medications like metformin, which try to prevent the absorption of you know, glucose, but doesn't actually fix the problem of of what's happening in that cell, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. And I've always been a huge fan of finding where the problem lies so that you can fix the root of the problem, which is, you know, the, the basis of so much naturopathic medicine instead of conventional. And I'm not harping on conventional medicine. Like I'm working with my family doctor to figure this out, but she's looking for like the immediate problem to potentially prescribe a quick solution. And I don't want the quick solution. I want to, I want to dig really deep. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, we definitely do need metformin, I think in certain situations and medications in general. Um, But when we're talking about, you know, healthcare as preventative, as prevention, right? It's really about looking at, like you said, the root cause. Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get a little bit more into just yourself and how you manage taking care of yourself throughout the day. So what does your work-life harmony look like? And on this show, we don't talk about balance because balance doesn't exist, but how do you harmonize between work and life? Yeah. So, um, this is a real big one for me because my job is pretty intense. (laughs) It's, you know, all day, every day talking to patients, uh, throughout the day, which I love. I love like actually talking to people. Um, and so, you know, for me, I actually get energized by talking to people, but also it does take a lot of my energy out of me, um, when I am talking, but also problem solving at the same time. So, you know, in terms of harmony, it's really changed in the last year because before this, we were in clinic and now I'm at home um, sitting on a desk uh, most of the day. So oftentimes what I'm doing is, you know, taking mindfulness breaks throughout the day. And what I'm doing is um, even sometimes lying down on a yoga mat or even my bed and doing some deep breathing 
um, sometimes even doing a meditation. Um, and then I oftentimes like to schedule like mini breaks throughout the day and just move, right. Just mm-hmm. getting my body moving. Like, like I was telling you, like even just putting on some music and like dancing it away or, um, you know, using some light weights and just doing some squats or like walking around or doing some resistance bands. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's really, you know, deep breathing, meditations, a little bit of stretching, um, and, then at the end of the day, really trying to close my computer and put my phone away for at least, you know, a few hours. And then if I want to get back onto the phone, I'll go back onto the phone. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then showers, like showering is such a therapeutic thing for me, just water in general. Yeah. Um, I find that when I have listened to a lot of stories throughout the day about patients dealing with everything they're dealing with, I oftentimes can take on that energy. So um, using like water as a healing therapeutic um, way of just letting everything go and mentally and emotionally and sometimes physically can be mm. really helpful for me. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And I think this is great for people that have specific scheduled appointments throughout their day. So like if you're on the phone or if you're on conference calls um, and let's say they last for an hour at a time, you know, in between those hours, being able to take, you know, five minutes to go lie down on the floor and specifically, yeah. or just sitting in your chair and doing a meditation. Or yeah. I think it's so key. I yeah. love, um, this pops up to, into my mind. Um, we've talked about, you know, doing the Pomodoro technique. So for those mm-hmm. that are, you know, focused and doing their own work, it's not based on other people, you know, scheduling the Pomodoro app on a computer to be Mm. able to have that focused work. And then that five minutes, like literally getting up from your computer and going to move. I think it's, and we talk about it, but I know so many of us can get caught up in that we don't do it. So it's just having that reminder is really good. Yeah. Like we talk, I talk a lot to my patients about making sure they drink water right now, because I think that's one thing that is missing because at work you would get up with, you know, some of your coworkers and go get coffee or tea or water or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, sometimes even, you know, patients are keeping the water bottle at their desk, but they're forgetting to drink it. Right. And so yeah. even just constantly reminding yourself that it's important. I don't so, yeah. know why I'm so much better at hydrating myself in a workplace environment than at home. Um, right now it's different cause I'm on mat leave with my twins. And so I'm like yeah. running around the house, but at work, I was literally like, I would have, um, a Centevia, Centivia. Yeah. I don't know how to, I would have a huge jug of that and I would refill mm. my water. This was my lazy way. I would like, wouldn't yeah. wash. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't take the time to like, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be productive. I wouldn't take the time yeah. to walk to the water uh, fountain. Also, I yeah. wanted to make sure that it was filtered properly. But right. now I felt like I'm sitting here. I brought a water into my office to drink while we're recording this podcast and it's yeah. you know 47 minutes in and I'm like, I haven't <laughs> sipped yet. Like, I'm so bad at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I find that at work right now, because I see some patients in person for acupuncture, I'm having a hard time getting hydrated at work just because of the mask, which is a huge problem right now for, I think, a lot of people. But just always constantly getting that reminder and just, you know, just even just mentally and emotionally, like checking in with yourself every hour on the hour. I really like to do that. Like Mm -hmm. every hour, when every hour passes, like, okay, what does my body need right now? Does it need a deep, a deep breath? Does it need some water? Does it need to get up and stretch? Like even just, you know, mentally taking that mindful moment is really important. 
And I've talked on the show about how um, I use just the alarm app on the phone. Um, mm-hmm. I have it set every two hours. I have to remind myself to pee. So I um, actually void my bladder at good times throughout the day. Otherwise, I have trouble voiding completely. Um, yeah. Most of my listeners know this about me. If you're new to the right. show, <laughs> now you know that I need help peeing. Um, but I've just downloaded the water reminder app because I'm like, oh, I just, cool. I need to get, um, yeah. you can schedule adjust with your alarms, but sometimes I just wanted the, the like the, I guess the, the fun of having a different yeah. app, but I'm like, this is something I need to work on. And For sure. sometimes you're really good at something and sometimes you go back and have to do the baby steps to implement yeah. a new health habit. And it's so true. Alpha females can be super hard on themselves. Um, since I know that being one and it's like, why do I have to do this? It's like, just do, just take the baby steps to re yeah. reestablish a health habit. Exactly. It's so true. Um, what piece of advice would you give your pre PCOS diagnosed self? Yeah, this is such an interesting question when I saw this and it's, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I sometimes feel like when patients get PCOS and women in general, like they, it feels like they, it really defines them as a person. And I think my pre advice would be PCOS doesn't define who you are as a person. Um, it doesn't make you any less capable of feeling good or feeling beautiful or feeling confident in yourself and in your health. It's just, you know, something that has been told to you. And sometimes I think it's a blessing in disguise because it can be like a really important clue into the lifestyle you should lead. And, um, you know, I often think about it as if I, I'm kind of happy. I knew I had PCOS or I found out I had PCOS because it's been able to give me the confidence and clarity and my own health as to like what I need to do to future prevent, you know, um, risks of, you know, long-term disease like cardiovascular disease or endometrial cancer or any of those diseases we see that come along with PCOS. And I almost feel like it's kind of, you know, like I said, a blessing in disguise to know this, but it can feel sometimes that, you know, woe is me and why do I have this thing? And, you know, and oftentimes I tell patients, like, think about it as if, you know, think about it as if you have this information and how you can use it to better yourself. Because um, even with some of the restrictions we put on ourselves in terms of diet and lifestyle, it should really be about there's no restrictions. This is just the these are the things that I've been opened up to, to how the ways to eat, the ways to like take care of my body and be more mindful mm-hmm. and use, you know, stress management techniques as well. Yeah, the language that yeah. I use um, specifically after I was diagnosed with MS was it's a gift that I've been given to teach me how to take different care of myself. Mm. Um, and I use the word different specifically because I used to say take better care of myself because mm-hmm. in fact I did need to take better care of myself in certain areas of my life. But yeah. that's also very kind of like slapping yourself on the wrist being like bad. You should have done mm. better. Instead. It's just like, no, this is what you've been presented with. Here's how you now can take care of yourself to empower yourself. Um, yeah. and that was really key for me using that language one to, you know, give myself a little bit of grace. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. but also just say like, it's not, um, like I'm not being punished 
um, that I have to do these things. It's I get to do these things. I get to eat differently. I get to get better sleep. I get to have really amazing morning routines and evening routines because that serves my body really well. Um, I, I don't eat certain foods because they don't serve my body well instead of feeling deprived of them. It's just, I don't, I don't eat them. It's a simple fact. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, It's so true. And it it applies to PCOS as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because, um, oftentimes when we go over like how to build a food plate, you know, sometimes patients will feel like, or people will feel like, you know, this is not how I used to eat, like from before, right? And like sugar or carbohydrates is a huge part of my diet, which it really was PCOS, pre-PCOS. Um, but once I switched everything and I went dairy-free and I, I actually am also gluten-free, that actually, you know, I felt so much better. I felt like I was me, <laughs> you know, like this is the me that's supposed to be there in the, out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's been a great opportunity to even just have something like PCOS to be honest. Cause then I wouldn't be able to help so many people just like me. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's been good. And I do think right now when people are spending more time at home, they're not out in the world. They're not going to restaurants with friends. Like you don't have to deal with the frustrations that come with changing your diet. And (laughs) I actually think COVID is potentially helping people because you can, you know, try out new recipes that you wouldn't have tried out before. Um, because you may have felt like frustrated that other people are going to judge you for cutting out all these foods. And then you just Mm -hmm. discover your new normal. Um, I find it an absolute challenge to create recipes, um, and actually serve it to people. And they're like, Oh, this is gluten-free. This is refined sugar free. I'm like, yes, it's not a hot, like I made gingerbread cookies over the holidays (laughs) and my, my father-in-law um, thankfully he doesn't listen to the podcast, but he's like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not eating those. I was like, he's like, I know that those are, um, gluten-free. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, they're gluten-free, but I'm like, they're not healthy. Technically they're full yeah. of sh- they're full sugar. They're full of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just a healthier version for me. Yeah, that I exactly, can eat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I love, I love discovering things. And then my mother-in-law had one and she's like, these are amazing. I need the recipe. I'm like, perfect. Yeah, um, exactly. so I, I love it. I kind of find it a challenge. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's great as well. All right. What is a pain point you're currently problem solving for in your life? So, yeah, so there's a few things. One right now, which is really interesting, is I'm trying to test to see if I have celiac disease. Mm. Um, Because one time I had done, in 2017, I had done a stool analysis test. And um, the stool test actually came back with high gluten antibodies. So at that point, I also did a food sensitivity test at that point as well, just to see what would come up. Um, You know, that test is great. It's not 100% reliable, but it still gives you a good idea of kind of what you're sensitive to at the time. And so um, a lot of foods came up and my anti-gluten antibody was high. And so I came to the conclusion I need to be gluten-free. But I, at that point, I was eating gluten here or there, and I actually didn't end up doing the gluten antibodies. Um, so in order for you to like actually get tested for celiac disease, you have to be eating gluten to get the antibody testing done. And so right now, I'm not eating gluten at all, but I'm really curious um, if I do have it, in fact, because you know over the last few weeks, um, since it's been 
the holidays, I've had a little bit of gluten here or there, and it hasn't really sat well with me. So, which is really interesting, um, the more and more I think about what had happened long time ago when I used to eat gluten on the regular, I used to have a lot of abdominal pain. And so one of the biggest things right now is um, there is a, a gene test for celiac disease. So I'm thinking one of the ways that I could, you know, find out if potentially I have celiac disease is do the gene test and see if I do, am a carrier of the genes. So uh, what they say is oftentimes you can be a carrier of the gene, but not actually have celiac disease. So then the next step is to test the antibodies. Hmm. But I figure if I have the genes and like my, you know, my gluten antibodies are high in the stool and I had, you know, leaky gut in the past, it's very possible I could have it. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I'm like looking into right now because I find it's really interesting. A lot of, you know, uh, women will ask if they need to go dairy and gluten-free when they have PCOS mm. and dairy for sure, because um, oftentimes dairy increases insulin um, and we want to bring insulin levels down when there's insulin resistance. So dairy-free is really important, I feel, when it comes to PCOS. But this gluten part is really important as well, but it really depends on if you have a sensitivity, I feel. So if you're having those symptoms you know, digestive symptoms or even like fatigue, uh, for example, it's possible you could have a sensitivity to gluten. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to take it one step further and see if I have, mm. you know, the actual gene and I'm a carrier mm. and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. So devil's advocate, if you've already removed gluten out of your life and you're fine having it out, why would you do the testing if you've already removed it and you're, you know, you're okay not having yeah. it. One of the things um, that comes up, like in celiac disease, even one gram of gluten can actually impact the digestive system to the point where it can actually really impact the small intestine, mm -hmm. um, you know, break down those um, barriers that kind of hold the tight junctions, which hold the cells together in the small intestine. So one of the things, uh, if you have celiac disease, is you have to be very cautious about cross-contamination. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, like you go to a restaurant and they're frying something that has gluten and then they fry something that is gluten-free on top of the thing that was mm -hmm. filled with gluten, it could be a possibility that that could also impact the yeah. body. Gotcha. So that's the only, yeah, that's the only thing I'm curious about because then I would be even more strict and I wouldn't mm -hmm. be eating like small bites here or there if people are like, hey, try this. Yeah, okay. So that makes sense because... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I go out to restaurants and they're like, are you okay with cross-contamination? And I'm like, meh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. like if you do have celiac, you just have to be that extra level of strictness. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Get yeah. it. Um, cool. It's been really, really fun chatting. Let's get to yeah. my, my last question and my favorite. But will you share with our listeners, what is your definition of happiness? Yeah, I love these questions. So one of the biggest things for me, um, like I kind of mentioned before, is like I really love to chat with people and talk to people on a daily basis, which 
is why being a naturopathic doctor is probably one of the best careers for myself. <laughs> but I really love to just connect with people. And that's what really gets me going and gets me up every day and um, really excited and ultimately happy. And so what I really like in terms of or what I feel really is the definition of happiness is bringing people together and like creating this community where people can get support and give support. And, um, you know, that really drives my sense of happiness in life is just bringing people together and connecting and chatting and sharing experiences and stories. And just like this podcast, right? Like it's just knowledge sharing. So it's yeah. really exciting for me. It makes me really happy. That's awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have you downloaded the Work-Life Harmony worksheet yet? In this free guide, I walk you through how to optimize five key areas of your life so that you can start designing your own work-life harmony. So from nutrition to supplements, sleep, stress management, and reducing your toxic load, I share tips and tricks that get you thinking on how you can optimize your life currently. So I ask you simple questions that just get you to rethink different aspects of your life I walk you through a prioritization exercise so you can figure out which area of your life you actually want to maybe overhaul or tackle or just make small changes in first. So you can download that over at bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet, all one word, bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet. Thank you for listening to the Alpha Female Podcast. Be sure and visit robinbaldwin.com. That's Robin with a Y, B-A-L-D-W-I-N for access to show notes and other amazing blogs. If you loved this episode of the Alpha Female Podcast, be sure to head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more amazing Alpha Females are able to find this content. It's so very much appreciated that you take this small effort to help this show succeed. 